welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Is the nature of the alien abduction experience changing? Why are so many abductees reporting experiences that are more like ghosts and poltergeists? Could poltergeists or demons actually be aliens or vice versa? Well, hello and welcome to the 636th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I'm Paul, and Ben, who is, of course, my son, is in Boston today for his bachelor party. He did his very last broadcast as a bachelor here on ON1240 last Sunday, and he gets married this Saturday, uh, something that is drawing awes of consternation from people who have listened to him on the air since he was 16. He'll be back on the air in two weeks as if nothing had happened. This afternoon, we bring you an old friend on a subject that has been perplexing many paranormal researchers over the past few years. Of course, we welcome your calls. It's 800, <coughs> excuse me, 800-449-1240 from anywhere in the U.S. or Canada, 401-766-1240 locally uh, in northern Rhode Island, that's southeastern Massachusetts. Also, we will monitor Paul at BehindTheParanormal.com for emails. Kathleen Marden is a leading UFO and abduction researcher, author, and lecturer. Her educational background in the social services has shaped her interest in scientific ufology. Kathleen has earned <coughs> earned a bachelor's degree in social service from the University of New Hampshire and did graduate studies in education while working as a teacher and education services coordinator. During her 15 years as an educator, she innovated, designed, and implemented model educational programs. She also held a supervisory position coordinating, training, and evaluating education staff. Her interest in UFOs dates back to September 20th, 1861. No, 1961. (coughs) Sorry about that, Kathy. Uh, uh, Anyway, uh, when her aunt and uncle, Betty and Barney Hill, encountered a flying saucer in New Hampshire's White Mountains, a primary witness to the evidence of the encounter and its aftermath, Kathleen today is the world's leading expert on the Betty and Barney Hill abduction. She is the Mutual, Mutual UFO Networks, that's MUFONS, Director of Experience and Research. She serves on the advisory board of the Foundation for Research into Extraterrestrial Encounters, or FREE, and is a consultant to its research subcommittee. Kathleen has written three books, Captured, The Betty and Barney Hill UFO Experience, and Science Was Wrong with Nuclear Physicist, Scientific Ufologist Stanton T. Friedman, and The Alien Abduction Files with Denise Stoner. Her fourth book will be released this fall. In addition to this, her essays have been published in several additional books. Of special relevance to our show today, Kathleen in 2012 spearheaded a research project with Denise Stoner to identify little-known commonalities among experiencers. She is currently working on two research projects, MUFON's Experiencer Survey and Freeze Experiencer Questionnaire. Her articles have been published widely, and she has appeared on the Discovery, History, National Geographic, Destination America channels, Fox News, and more, and the television news show Chronicle. She is a frequent guest on top radio programs and has lectured throughout the United States and internationally. Her website, Kathleen-Marden.com, Kathleen-M-A-R-D-E-N.com. Kathleen, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal. Thanks. It's great to be with you again. Very good. Okay, what is the, uh, let's just start right in with some of the basics here. What is the alien abduction phenomenon, for those who might not be familiar with it, and how has it changed since your aunt and uncle's day? Well, uh, basically it, it involves alleged contact with extraterrestrial beings. It started out uh, being very, very physical in nature uh, with Betty and Barney Hill, for example, in 1961, 
Uh, their experience occurred in upstate New Hampshire. There was physical evidence, including a, a torn dress, a pink powdery substance that grew on the dress, uh, a, a magnetic field around the trunk of the vehicle. Barney's dress shoes were deeply scraped for no apparent reason. Uh, their watches stopped working and never worked again. Uh, could have been because of the magnetic field. They were wind-up watches. Um, so there was physical evidence that something had occurred. Uh, in the case of Travis Walton, there were witnesses who saw the UFO, uh, saw a blue beam come out of the UFO and strike him before he disappeared for five days. Uh, many, many cases of uh, multiple witnesses, of individuals who are taken together after a UFO has swooped down over the top of the vehicle and uh, there is a missing time event then. Uh, there is conscious, continuous recall of the close encounter and, uh, and sometimes physical and physiological evidence that, that is pretty compelling. And these individuals also have undergone psychological testing, lie detector testing, and passed all of this. The way that it has changed over the years is that today we seldom receive this type of report. What we receive is reports where uh, perhaps this happened in the past to family members, but uh, not only has their contact continued, it has passed on to their children and their grandchildren. Uh, they're uh, rarely now being taken while they're awake and in an external environment. So then you have all kinds of questions uh, pertaining to sleep states, to psychology, to out-of-body experiences. Um, it becomes a lot murkier than it ever was. Yet people are sending in uh, reports that they have conscious recall of being taken from their bedroom. Uh, they see this blue light that comes into their room. They feel that they're being taken through um, physical objects such as walls or windows that are closed onto craft or to some kind of alien environment. Uh, sometimes fluorescence is left behind. Uh, their clothing will uh, glow under uh, a black light. Um, sometimes there are marks on their bodies. Uh, and these marks are very specific patterned marks, uh, n not just scratches or black and blue marks that uh, we can see on anybody's body, and not the kind of scratches that we see in cases of uh, in demonic or negative entity attachment uh, to individuals. So uh, it's more perplexing today. There is... Uh, less evidence, there is less conscious, continuous recall than there was years ago. Okay, and I'm thinking, too, that um, the, the implication from our point of view might be that the agenda is changing or that if this is an experiment on the part of somebody else, that perhaps that has progressed to a different stage uh, wherein the modus operandi would be a little different. I mean, uh, and one of the things that... Um, well, is, what is your opinion on that before we, before we get to, into anything else? I mean, I think it's a well, different I agenda. Do, uh, 
I do agree with you that the agenda may have changed. They may have moved ahead uh, in, through their experimental process toward uh, the goal that they have established because back in um, the early abductions, uh, there seemed to be genetic material that was being extracted from these uh, experiencers or abductees, we called them back then, uh, and uh, today it uh, appears that uh, perhaps hybrid beings are being created and that, uh, that somehow this agenda involves the extraction of genetic material and the creation of these hybrid beings for some reason. Okay, I'm thinking, too, that uh, <clears throat> the the commonalities, among, not only among experiencers, as we mentioned in your bio, but the commonalities among uh, the <clears throat> sorts of cases that, that, that you and Denise Stoner and I work on, which are quite different, you know, uh, I'm... Excuse me. I'm primarily a, a quote unquote ghost researcher over the years, and uh, that that yeah, you've had a different uh, path, obviously through UFOs and this sort of thing. But but both of us have noticed over the years uh, in our respective uh, fields that there seem to be commonalities between the fields. For example, um, I often run into people who have um, had <coughs> generations in their families who have been. Uh, harassed or at least uh, have been accompanied by what, what we refer to as parasitical entities who seem to feed on them. That, now, that's our point of view. And, and you mention uh, now that you have generations of people who seem to have had, who be, uh, seem to be experiencers of what would, as you said, have been called abductions previously. And you know, you you, you wonder if various phenomena seem to be similar. Now, uh, now you and Denise and I have. Exchange had a lot of conversations on this over the past few years, and uh, we, um, when we have spoken at the same events, I've I've showed um, photos that you very kindly provided uh, of um, physical marks that people have had uh, during abduction experiences. You know, as as they've uh, um, gone through these things, and I had mentioned to you that when I was in West Virginia in 03, 13 years ago, if you can believe it, speaking uh, on the same bill with um, Bud Hopkins, uh, the late Bud Hopkins, great uh, researcher into this field, that uh, he and I had sat down and looked at his photo album, and a lot of the things that, the marks that I'd seen in, with him uh, in these photos were similar to what I'd seen in a lot of uh, rather nasty poltergeist cases, things of this kind. But So, so th- th- this leads into the question... Could could what we refer to as aliens sometimes be uh, poltergeists or quote unquote demons? Uh, and all these terms are, are they perhaps relative to the experience? In other words, you know, do we do we put the label on the experience uh, depending on uh, our own understanding or the context in which we experience it? Uh, if I'm if I'm clear, I mean, do you? And as I say, we've talked about this before. So, what's your take on? Um, what is the crossover going on here? Is there crossover, and what does it mean, and are we using the right well, terms? Denise and I are looking into all of this right now. We don't have a definitive answer. It's going to take a lot more research, but we do find some cases where there seems to be both going on. Uh, in fact, I have a statistic, a recent statistic, 
uh, I asked uh, over 200 experiencers if they felt an evil presence uh, when they were having this type of experience. And 9% answered in the affirmative. Now, I have to find out if this 9% is also having the experience of uh, deep scratch marks across their backs, their chest, their arms, like you see in negative parasitic entity attachment. Yes. Uh, You know, if it is, then perhaps these people uh, believe they're having contact with extraterrestrials or aliens, but it really is something else. That's something that we need to look into uh, to see if we can separate these out or if there is overlap. I have only one case that is incredibly perplexing to me, and this uh, is a case of a commercial pilot who purchased an airport and uh, very nice life, very nice wife, everything is going along very, very well, uh, but he starts to, he has cameras set up all over the airport uh, for security reasons. He starts to photograph uh, what looks like UFOs coming in pretty close. And then he starts to get video of what appear to be uh, like insectoid type beings that we think of being of extraterrestrial origin. Um, then uh, things happen, like he photographs what appears to be molten lava coming up between the cracks in the floor of his hangar. Uh, His rooms uh, sometimes feel very cold, and he feels what he termed demonic uh, entities. Uh, Pictures on his wall start to uh, take on a pornographic appearance. His wife's behavior changes entirely, and she ends up being convicted of attempted murder. Uh, she started acting out sexually. Uh, she started uh, using profanity on a regular basis, behavior that had never occurred in her life before. Uh, he ended up uh, selling the airport at a tremendous loss and uh, became a born-again Christian, and has embraced this and is not having these uh, experiences in his new location, although initially he did experience a little bit. I've talked not only to him, but also um, a, a police officer who was involved in all of this. Uh, and so that is one very, very perplexing case. I also am working on another case uh, that I'm not positive even involves extraterrestrials at all uh, because it also involves orbs. It involves uh, feeling that uh, beings are like walking on the bed, this movement in the mattress. And I hear this a lot uh, in cases where there is more of a spiritual kind of thing going on rather than what I think of is extraterrestrial. Uh, so then that raises questions. The orbs in the house, the poltergeist activity, the, you know, that sort of thing. So I wanted to know from experiencers how prevalent this is. And I discovered that 
with over 200 participants, 62% reported that there was this kind of motion in their mattress. Uh, 60% reported electrical malfunctions in their homes, such as lights flickering or turning off and on in proximity to the human being. Um, but only 20% stated that it, it occurred within close proximity to a contact experience or to being taken by non-humans. The majority stated that it seemed to uh, take place on a regular basis, so it seemed somehow not to be related directly to the contact experience. It seemed like maybe both things were going on in the house. Over 60% said that they observed light orbs in their home. And in the particular case that I talked about, uh, where the man was feeling, the second case, where the man was feeling this uh, activity or this movement in his mattress, uh, I received a video of a light orb that uh, raced across his bedroom or uh, and dove down into his body. He had a large tumor on the side of his neck, and I have the medical report indicating that the tumor uh, became much, much smaller, and by the time uh, he had it removed, there were only two necrotizing nodes left. Uh, I found that about 25% of these experiencers of what we think is ET contact have poltergeist activity in their home. Uh, about 50% say that they are have had near-death experiences as well. So then we, we have to ask, uh, does this have something to do with a near-death experience where maybe uh, the, the soul could have separated from the body from a time? So, you know, I have far more questions than answers about all of this. Sure. The cases you mentioned, uh, Kathy, we get that day in and day out, <clears throat> you know. Um, I'm thinking, too, of uh, coming in from the other direction, which is looking at the phenomena as uh, something that we would work with, not necessarily extraterrestrial related. However, the commonalities uh, I, I, be I can begin to discuss by thinking of the Bridgeport poltergeist case of 1974, which we've discussed, and uh, which I've discussed very often on the show, because the four entities that seemed to be in this house. Now, now again, I was a seminary student at the time. Uh, I was working with Ed and Lorraine Warren, who, you know, with the kind of this pop theology that they uh, operated on, and uh, with a priest, and our assumption was these were demons, you know, it's, you know, sort of servants of Satan in the theological sense, and that they were harassing these people. Well, as with all of my early cases, it, that didn't hold up. That uh, what seemed to be happening was that these entities, especially when I faced off with one and had a physical uh, encounter with it in an attempt to protect the child in the house, I got the impression of utter alienness in this. I, I, it wasn't evil in the sense that that we would ex would uh, describe it in, in our limited paradigm, but it's always been very alien in whatever sense you want to take that. Now, most people would think, oh, somebody from another planet, just, just alien in the sense of outside of our experience, non-human, that sort of thing. And all four of these things were like that. Uh, there was almost an impression of sterility. And the physical contact was, was with something rather bird-like 
or as you said, insect-like. So, and of course, there, now after years later, when we began to look at the broader picture, I found out there had been uh, statistically an increase, if you can rely on the reports from the time, an increase in, in uh, UFO sightings around that time, but we didn't think to look for that at the time because this was, this was a demon or ghost thing. You know, in those days, the, the, the two fields did not converge at all, I don't think. Uh, so, so that's when I began to suspect uh, <clears throat> and run into things such as you have, <clears throat> excuse me, very perplexing cases, although coming in from the other end. And since then, we look for, as you know, uh, other sorts of phenomena, and which has led us to what we believe are these flap areas, and you know, you've heard us discuss that uh, in, say, Litchfield County, Connecticut, where there are all these things going on, uh, UFO sightings uh, all over the place, a Bigfoot, uh, people having all sorts of interesting um, experiences in their homes with what would in the classic sense be known as ghosts uh, things that have really I can't even categorize that have been happening and one photograph which I believe you saw if you were watching my presentation in Exeter and Lemonster last year I think you were in Lemon. I, I can't remember but yeah, I think you've I seen this yeah. uh, of this thing standing at someone's sink and uh, I've never seen anything like a lizard like or something and, and the, it had been taken by a kitchen uh security camera when no one was home because the area had been uh, experiencing lots of break-ins with nothing stolen, this sort of thing. So, um, and you mentioned the the orbs. Uh, in speaking with Ted Phillips, who has been on the show several times, we both know Ted, uh, he is a long-standing collector of physical evidence of UFO landings, of flying saucer landings. And he has noted that, at least to us, that the the um, nuts and bolts craft that such as your aunt and uncle experienced in 1961 uh, seem to be far less prevalent than the orb-like, or, or, or as he calls them, light balls or balls of light uh, that seem to be accompanying many experiences now. So uh, can you comment on, on any of that uh, as far as the, the, the change not only in a possible agenda but in possibly the the nature of the craft, or even the beings, because there's some speculation that some of these uh, orbs may be living creatures. Yes. Uh, we have at MUFON received many, many reports uh, recently of these uh, red, orange, fiery orbs outside. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it reminds me of the red or orange orb that Betty and Barney observed, and I also have a photograph of one that Betty took, so I'm not sure that these are any different than what Betty and Barney reported, hmm. um, but they are reported more frequently now. I'm not sure if the, these are crafts uh, that are simply very, very hot, um, but some of them seem to be only the size of basketball. Yes. So then you have to ask, uh, uh, are these expanding? Do they cool? Are they interdimensional in nature? Uh, it's all very perplexing, and I don't have the answers to that. It's sort of like those little light orbs that are appear to be about the size of a baseball or so that are floating through people's homes and sometimes appear to be intelligently controlled. Some people believe that they... Uh, host or harbor ET consciousness. 
So there is a consciousness inside this ball that can expand into uh, a, a being, a, a non-human entity. Mm-hmm. So all of this is very perplexing. Is this new technology? Are these interdimensional beings? Are they different from what uh, we used to experience or not? And that's something else that we're looking into, but we don't have definitive answers for at this time. Hmm. It's just that uh, there seem to be so many similarities, uh, as we pointed out, between even the beings, uh, but again, looked at from our, our own points of view. Now, as far as the agenda, uh, Kathy, on this, uh, there, there seems to have, there, there are many opinions about it, uh, but there, there seems to be a current of thinking in the field, from what I can see, that uh, the genetic manipulation, breeding, or as you mentioned, hybrid, some kind of program, could be... Uh, you know, regardless of who's doing it, whether, as you say, they're, they're uh, multi, you know, interdimensional, you know, multiversal, whatever, uh, whether it's time travel, which could all, you know, or, or all of the above, uh, or simply visits from another planet. I mean, any of these things is possible. But whatever is going on, uh, there seems to be a genetic component, and yeah. uh, I, uh, that fascinates me because I'm wondering um, if, if uh, a lot of the things that we run into that we think are parasitical maybe are parasitical is there uh an agenda there as far as human genetics is concerned because if you look back and you read i know you read my book turning home because we talked about it um that in there seems to have been something going on somebody messing with us uh, simply from the map of the human genome in which there are 223 genes that shouldn't be there so uh, all this coming together uh, i'm wondering about the the genetic um agenda if there is one, on the part of either aliens or parasites, or if they're the same thing in some cases, both. I mean, what, what about the uh, genetic situation there, which seems to have evolved? What, what say you on that? Well, there are various points of view <laughs> yeah. on this as well. We have uh, what I have expressed as my point of view, uh, based upon the many, many cases that I have investigated and the research that I have done where uh, individuals are reporting that they believe they are giving birth to genetically altered human beings. Their children uh, may be uh, what we might refer to as hybrids. Uh, These children uh, can be highly intelligent and uh, telepathic, can be highly intuitive, uh, and very, very sensitive uh, in terms of feeling other people's emotions, that sort of thing. Uh, then we have David Jacobs' uh, hypothesis. Mm. And his hypothesis, he's just recently written a new book, um, Walking Among Us, and his it's an expansion of uh, his former book. But he believes now that based upon testimony of 14 experiencers he's worked with, that uh, there's an experiment being done in New Jersey where uh, these uh, extraterrestrials are, uh, who are of insectoid and gray form uh, are, have created what he calls hubrids. They uh, have human characteristics in every sense but they are uh, sort of clumsy. They, they don't know how to live on Earth. 
Uh, it's an experiment to see if they can integrate into our society, but they're not doing a very good job of it, and, and they need human assistance. Yeah, I think some of them is, are in public office. <laughs> Actually, Kathy, I'm, I'm have to interrupt you because we have to take our break, but we'll, we'll be right back. You're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON 1240 in New England's gorgeous Blackstone River Valley. And we'll be right back with our guest, Kathy Martin. Stick with us. Everything you know is wrong. Hi, I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno. Check out our show, Behind the Paranormal, with Paul and Ben Eno, here on ON 1240, on Sundays on our new slot at 12 noon. The paranormal is not what you think it is. We're going to examine it from a whole new perspective, and you will be very surprised. Do not check your brain at the door. You're going to need to be there. ON Radio! Okay, and we're back. We're going to go back to our fascinating conversation with our guest, Kathleen Marden, a renowned UFO researcher and abduction researcher who is not afraid to admit that there are an awful lot of perplexing questions out there that nobody seems to be able to answer. Uh, So, Kathy, uh, we were talking about the possibility of hybrids, the genetic um, uh, possibilities for uh, this this kind of thing and some agenda. Um, Do you think indigo children, so-called might enter into this? There is that possibility. And I have to say that Mary Rodwell, who is an Australian researcher, is specializing in this and has done some very fascinating studies on these highly gifted children. So this is very important. Uh, We also have uh, input from uh, an experiencer in New Zealand. Her name is Susie Hansen. She's also a researcher. Uh, and she traditionally had the same kind of uh, archetypal alien abduction that was reported years and years ago. She would be outside driving in a car. She sometimes had other people with her. A UFO would come down, there would be a close encounter, uh, the car would be stopped and they would be taken on board a craft. They would undergo uh, extremely frightening uh, examinations uh, on board the craft and, and perhaps being uh, given information at the same time or, or taught something. As uh, her experiences evolved over many, many years, she began to realize that she had made a dual soul agreement. Um, Her book is called um, uh, The Dual Soul Agreement, I believe. And uh, so this probably sounds familiar to to you as uh, perhaps an attachment because what she uh, described as happening And I have to say that Dolores Cannon, the late Dolores Cannon, is also uh, a researcher and a past life regressionist who worked with experiencers as well. Uh, What this this, uh, this school of thought uh, is, is that uh, somehow there is this genetic manipulation going on, but at the same time, a dual soul of 
agreement is made so that the individual, uh, before they spend their time on Earth in this incarnation, has agreed to an attachment of an ET or alien soul uh, that attaches to theirs and pushes into the human fetus before the fetus is born. Uh, so uh, that raises additional questions as well because, I mean, we're talking about uh, soul attachments at this point. So mm. where do you go with that? Well, I can tell you where our ancestors might have gone with that. Uh, <clears throat> with, with the having studied, <coughs> excuse me, having studied theology, I can just see some of these things happening to our ancestors and as part of the human experience, whether it be seeing uh, strange lights in the sky, encountering what we believe are supernatural beings. And if we hadn't done that, there would probably be no religion you know, or science in the way we understand it. And I can just see <clears throat> all this, uh, perhaps, a, a genetic agenda taking place throughout the history of the human race, perhaps even reaching as far as to say that maybe we were created in our current form genetically to be of some service to someone else, you can see it taking on theological baggage. You can see the whole bit of the evil evil God and, and the good God, and that's not a Christian thing, that, that's more Zoroastrian, but it, it crept into Christianity. You can see the demons coming at night, uh, sitting on the chest, you know, the whole, you know, they, you can just, I can just see the parallels taking on the the, the clothing of folklore. You know, and when you've got, and any folklorist will tell you, as you know, that there is always some grain of truth in a story, a legend, a joke, even uh, things that our ancestors believed. Uh, no matter how much baggage it's taken on in the meantime, so I can just see this coming and taking a, a dual path. Uh, you know, looking at it from a spiritual point of view, aha, we're dealing with demons who are trying to steal our souls. And then uh, in the more modern scientific world, aha, we're dealing with people from other planets who are trying to get a foothold on ours or, or trying to, to mess around with our genetics. But really, it's the same kind of phenomenon uh, in many variations, but interpreted by us in, uh, along two different paths. I mean, that, that seems to be, I mean, what do you think about that idea? <laughs> Funny you should mention that because after I wrote the Alien Abduction Files with Denise Stoner, That's I a received, good book. Uh, thank you. I, re I received uh, a 50-page paper from a Christian scholar, and she was a born-again Christian, and she had uh, taken excerpts out of the Bible, uh, arguing that uh, any kind of contact uh, with what we think are extraterrestrial beings or is actually contact with demonic beings. And she has quoted uh, from the alien abduction files. Um, she says, the assumption made in the alien abduction files is that because alien beings and UFO structures have physicality, uh, it necessarily rules out demonic origin for aliens and UFOs. She said, I intend to show that this pivotal conclusion is flawed, huh. uh, a flawed assumption, and that it contains a false premise. Um, so she talks about um, the physicality of fallen angels and that uh, really all of this uh, can be looked upon 
as demonic. And she says that uh, when we're talking about this genetic experimentation, this creation of uh, humans or even implants where uh, supposedly the genetic structure of the human is changed because of the implant placed by these uh, alien forces, that this is actually creating a demonic being because that human is no longer fully human. And if it is not fully human, it falls under the definition of the Nephilim. And she believes that uh, this is the second coming of the Nephilim and that uh, humans are being changed and that this is demonic. It was a very interesting paper. I'd love to see that. I think you mentioned it, but I've never seen it. Well, we'll talk about that off the air. But, um, yeah, the Nephilim being... uh, in Genesis, there are references to uh, you know very you know gi- well, giants, I guess, if you will, uh, yeah. who were the sons of well, they're called the sons of God. But if you read it in the Hebrew, it gets pretty wild. The the, uh, the word um, Elohim comes in, which is a is a, a, a plural. Uh, let me say it's a feminine word with a masculine plural ending. There's no other word in any Semitic language like it, and it's the whole story of them coming. Uh, to earth and um, marry, and this is in the book of Genesis, and uh, intermarrying with the daughters of men, as they're called, and uh, that was not allowed by the quote-unquote most high, whoever, whatever that was, in in different cultures, as there are different names, and uh, they got in all kinds of trouble, and you know, I'm thinking too, Kathy, of the, the book of Enoch, whom, as far as I know, was not an ancestor of mine, despite the spelling, um, that uh, he was, um, and, and the, the church, when they put together the Bible in 325, decided what books should be in it what, and what shouldn't. They didn't include the book of Enoch because it was too weird. And uh, Enoch talks about being whisked away by some of these, um, uh, what we would consider angels, or some of us might consider aliens, in a craft. And uh, looking down from the sky on the various lands and seeing the uh, valley of fire where these uh, Nephilim who had taken human wives were kept as in prison which sounds to be like the rift valley and all this business and he goes up to see the most high and in his craft or island or whatever and um, i'm just thinking you know you're describing the whole scene here you know the the, the alien beings or whatever they are or quote-unquote demons uh hell with these evil nephilim in it and, and all you know, the whole bit heaven you know the whole thing that has come down to us in our, our our folklore not that it's not true but come down to us in our folklore in the way of god is in the sky and hell is is under the ground and you know it's it's really the same myth in modern terms with all this baggage but as you say there may be uh, and even the, the, this this christian who wrote this this essay uh, drawing these points may have may be right uh, from a certain point of view, that these are actual events that have taken on the baggage of whether it be science or or, or uh, theology, even if it's crummy theology, and we're really dealing with the same phenomenon just from different points of view. It certainly sounds like it could possibly be, and and from different points of view, and we have to remember that uh, our uh, in ancient times. Uh, these stories were passed down or, uh, through oral tradition and that it was uh, men, not gods, who, who wrote all of this down. And that is the human interpretation placed upon it. 
uh, back before we had advanced technology. Uh, and maybe we're more suspicious in, in those times as well. Uh, today we do have this te- advanced technology, and maybe we're interpreting it through uh, that perspective, or maybe we just have a greater understanding of what is going on because we have moved along technologically. I don't know the answer to that either. You know, I, I hope that someday I do learn the answers to all of these. Well, things. you and me both, yeah. But, yeah, but yeah. what makes it so interesting is that we don't know the answer. That's true. Kathy, what, let me ask you this. What... Um, are the outcomes of some of these cases? I, I wish we lived closer, but we don't. You're, you're uh, way the heck far away from where I live. <laughs> and, um, you know, it would be interesting to work on these cases together. But what, what what do you do about cases such as the the man at the airport? I mean, uh, what what are the outcomes of these? Well, you did mention the outcome of that. I mean, he uh, became, he got religion and things got better, which, which I've often seen. Sometimes I've seen it get worse. With people adopting, uh, you know, a very strong religious faith that may be negative, uh, what what are essentially um, some of the outcomes you've seen in these cases, or have there been? Are they, are they all ongoing? And what, what's the what's the story with the uh, with that? Most of these cases are ongoing. What uh, we have been suggesting to individuals who seem to have. Uh, uh, experiences with people who uh, might not be advanced technological beings that might be these intimate dimensional spirit beings is uh, when they find the presence in their room uh, if they uh, ask for protection from a higher power. Uh, it seems to stop the experience. Yes, for, usually, yeah. Yeah, we have many, many cases where... Uh, that kind of presence has been stopped. They simply leave when the person calls upon a higher power. Um, they don't leave uh, when the person uh, is being taken by uh, a technologically advanced being, as far as I know, uh, because some of these experiences continue to happen. Uh, in the case that I was talking about, the second case, where there was a lot of paranormal activity taking place in the home, plus uh, suspected uh, alien abduction, uh, we have found that nothing seems to be stopping any of this. Uh, The individual uh, was taken at one point, uh, ended up uh, finding himself... uh, feeling that uh, he, he was very weak, he was very shaky, uh, he uh, was perspiring profu- profusely, his T-shirt was on uh, wrong side out and backwards, which it had not been before. It was extremely uncomfortable. He would never wear it that way. I asked him to uh, send it to me, and I sent it to a laboratory for analysis after he had kept it in his closet for a while, and it had developed a pink tinge uh, rather than uh, being tan the way it was. Reminded me of what was going on with my Aunt Betty Hill's dress Hmm. with the pink battery substance. Uh, So that's an indication that it might have been the same kind of being that my aunt encountered. And we're finding this on uh, the clothing of other experiencers now that we're actually looking for physical evidence uh, in abduction cases. 
Sure. Uh, he also found uh, what he thought was an alien implant, and he had it removed by a surgeon and sent it to MUFON for analysis. Now, what happened is that uh, although it was uh, solid, uh, metallic appeared to be, it uh, had dissolved before it le- reached the laboratory. We've had other cases where these have been dissolving in front of uh, the uh, person's eyes uh, before they can arrive at the laboratory. Uh, we have discovered that the removal of these implants do not stop the experiences from occurring. They continue to occur. Uh, so some of these are, are very difficult. Indeed. Kathy, we're burning up this hour very quickly. I want to give you a chance, uh, before we go any further, to um, talk about your books, your website, what you're working on, and just go for it. Okay. Well, um, my first book with Stanton Friedman was titled Captured the Betty and Barney Hill UFO Experience. It was the result of many, many years of investigation and research into their case by me. And a couple of chapters were written by Stanton Friedman on his research on the star map that Betty drew under hypnosis. Our second book was Science Was Wrong. We each wrote seven chapters on um, scientists over the past 200 years uh, who have made proclamations of impossibility. And in the end, they were wrong, but often there were uh, social, economic, consequences uh, as a result of the scientists who were debunked, who were correct. And then my third book with uh, Denise Stoner is The Alien Abduction Files, six cases of alien abduction that I have investigated, and also the results of the uh, Experiencer Questionnaire Project that Denise Stoner and I did. Uh, back in 2012 with 50 experiencers and a 25-person control group. So that is filled with uh, uh, information a lot more than I was able to discuss in the time that I had today. I hope that you'll pick them up. They're all available uh, on my website, autographed copies at Kathleen-Marden, M-A-R-D-E-N.com. And they're also available at Amazon, Barnes and & Noble, and um, it's not only in hardcover, in softcover, and in electronic format, but The Alien Abduction Files is also available as an audio book. And uh, if you go to my website at uh, Kathleen-Marden.com, you'll be able to read about my upcoming events. I'll be lecturing at uh, a few places around the United States uh, this summer. And we'll be up in your area in Exeter, New Hampshire over uh, Labor Day weekend to, to lecture at that conference. Denise Stoner will be there as well. Oh, she will. Excellent. Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll, so, we'll be there too, of course, and uh, oh, we'll look forward yeah. to that. Yeah. That's great. So uh, those are the things that I have going on. Uh, I've just turned in the manuscript for a new book that will be coming out this fall. And uh, every book that I write has sort of a a different topic, something different than I'm exploring. Mm. So it won't be a repeat of anything that I've written before. 
And that's all I can say about it because I have a non-disclosure agreement. <laughs> oh, I, I hear you on that, yeah. They're all excellent yeah. books, and I don't give compliments. Being a professional editor, I don't give compliments easily to authors, but they're uh, they're all wonderful books, well worth reading. You and Stanton Friedman are both excellent writers. Um, Thank you. So uh, just to, to wrap up here, we have a few more minutes. The... Uh, are other researchers beginning to notice what you said? You've already mentioned uh, David Jacobs and people of, of that caliber. Uh, I'm thinking also of Nigel Kerner in in uh, the UK, who has um, uh, a theory that th- this is just much of what we've discussed uh, from a spiritual point of view is really going on. He's a feet on the ground investigator. And uh, he believes that uh, grays, for example, are, are, are maybe biomechanical or entirely mechanical, that sort of thing. So uh, can you think of other researchers who are, are um, recognizing crossovers between the two fields? Well, let me say many, many years ago, Alan Hynek and Jacques oh, yes. Vallée yeah. both thought there was crossover. Right. And Jacques Vallée pretty much dropped out of the UFO field. Um, after uh, he did an investigation of abductions and uh, believed that they were interdimensional beings and not beings from outer space, mm-hmm. uh, from other planets. So uh, they were at the beginning of this. And many of us are talking about this right now. Barbara Lamb, for example, uh, Leo Sprinkle, for example, mm-hmm. have uh, different takes on all of this. and. Um, are wondering because some of these beings, particularly the reptilian type, seem to materialize. And you had mentioned that one materializing in front of the camera in somebody's kitchen. Uh, I suspect that these uh, reptoids might be interdimensional. I am not aware of anyone who has had a close encounter with a UFO and uh, been taken, had a missing time event, and had conscious continuous recall of the kind of scenario that we have with greys that involve reptilians. So that's uh, for many reasons. I suspect that reptilians are interdimensional beings. Mm -hmm. Well, there we are. All right. Uh, Now, where, just as our last question here, where do you think we go from here now, now we've got two people in different fields talking with each other particularly i'm thinking of the uh foundation board for the free uh board uh, i've even been consulted on that uh, not at a high level obviously but you know just as possible interviewer and so to maybe provide suggestions for for questions for the questionnaire which of course involve what we're talking about um do you think that we are proceeding in the right direction? You know, people from different fields uh, talking with one another and coming up with questionnaires and putting together statistics. Is, is this the right direction? Or I can we do more? I think it's important that we do this. Uh, I'm on Free's board of directors and on their research committee as well, so I'm associated with both MUFON and with Free. And I think that it's important as long as we're willing to really study this and try to separate it out and not try to throw everything into an interdimensional basket or everything into a positive basket or a negative basket. And I see researchers who are doing this, and it concerns me uh, when they are making these black and white uh, sort of snap judgments Mm 
mm. on what this is all about. Uh, there's so much research that has to be done. We need to be very, very patient, and we need to be as scientific as possible, as unbiased as possible in this. Sensible advice. Kathleen Marden, thank you so much. Fascinating conversation as always. And uh, again, folks, check it out, Kathleen-Marden.com. Kathy, we'll be talking to you soon, and thanks for a great show. Okay, thank you for having me on. It was a pleasure. Okay, always is. All right, folks, let's get to our announcements here. Our next public appearance, ours being better than myself, uh, will be at the Connecticut, uh, quote, Gathering of the Paranormal in Windsor Locks on Saturday and Sunday, July 23rd and 24th. Uh, we will speak on Saturday, and then on Sunday, uh, although they tell us they want us to speak on both days, uh, also there will be uh, our good friend Bill Hall, author of The uh, World's Most Haunted House and a couple of other books involving Ben and myself. And uh, also uh, Shane Searway, our great friend, who will be here on our open line show on May 8th. Um, so anyway, Saturday and Sunday, those dates, and we will host the weekly edition of this show live with a panel of all the speakers before uh, the audience uh, there in Windsor Locks, Connecticut. Uh, this event will benefit the Queen of Hearts Thoroughbred Retirement Farm in Maine. In the fall, we'll be speaking at uh, a MUFON event in Philadelphia at the Exeter UFO Festival, September 3rd and 4th, uh, where Kathy Barden also will be in Stan Friedman. Exeter, New Hampshire, of course, and the Greater New England UFO Conference in Leominster, Mass., in October. Uh, meanwhile, find out more about uh, our show, our public appearances, and uh, more of our activities, uh, our zany lives, at, at uh, BehindTheParanormal.com, one of the top websites in the world for visits and use, so we're told. Also at that site, you'll find over 650 free recorded shows from both ON 1240 and our four-and-a-half-year run on CBS Radio, along with special shows and podcasts. Uh, this fall, you can start looking for our forthcoming book, originally titled Cosmic Journey. It's now Behind the Paranormal, Everything You Know is Wrong, at the request of our publisher, uh, coming from Schiffer Publishing. Uh, Stanton Friedman, whom we mentioned during the show, uh, the grandfather of ufology, wrote the um, uh, foreword to the book. Uh, and we'll let you know the release date and uh, when we have that. And also, there will be a release event of some kind. We're not sure when and where, but we'll let you know about that as well. Uh, you can find my books on Amazon.com, Amazon Kindle, Barnes & Noble Nook, but if you buy them directly at BehindTheParanormal.com, I will be happy to sign them for you, and you will help us keep all those podcasts free. Also, on our website, you'll find direct links to several charities Ben and I have adopted. Uh, that includes USACares.org, Canadian Veterans Advocacy, uh, HelpForHaiti.com and also, uh, I should say, .org, and Youth Mentoring Connection in Los Angeles, doing great things out there for at-risk youth. That's YouthMentoring.org. Uh, and, of course, there are a couple of books of special interest uh, to our audience here at ON 1240. Uh, I'm thinking of UFO Repeaters. Uh, that's available on Amazon.com, and that has a whole chapter on our old friend Joe Ferrier, uh, who had the talk show host in the afternoons here on ON for over 50 years. Uh, primarily because of Ben's wedding, for the next two Sundays, we will do rebroadcasts on April 24th and May 1st. The April 24th show will be Mac Maloney, the Military and the Paranormal from January 4th, and we'll let you know about that. May We'll be back live on May 8th. And we'll leave you this afternoon with a thought from American author and lecturer Joyce Mayer. You cannot have a positive life and a negative mind. Thanks also to our great friend and producer Josh Ducharme. I'm Paul Eno. Thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we'll see you back live again on May 8th. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now. 
for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.